I'm David Berlin with the Blockchain Journal podcast. I'm coming to you from the DC Blockchain Summit 2023, taking place in Washington, DC, of course. We're surrounded by lawmakers, regulators, lobbyists, people who are really looking into the idea of where cryptocurrency and blockchain regulation is going in the future, because until some decisions are made, a lot of organizations are kind of stuck. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to anticipate which direction regulations will head and how to respond to that with their strategies. Now this event draws people from all over the world and standing with me is Lumila Koslovska. And Lumila, you are not a lobbyist. You're not a regulator or a lawmaker, but you're from somewhere else. Where else are you from? I'm Humanity Defender from Ukraine, and I actually deliver humanitarian aid and protect human rights with the use of crypto assets like Bitcoin and stable coins. So I'm the leader and founder of Open Dialogue Foundation, and since the first hours of Russian invasion to Ukraine, we were capable to fundraise and then the second day of the war deliver humanitarian aid together with Minister of Defense and Embassy of Ukraine in Poland uh, to Ukrainian uh, Minister of Defense uh, in Ukraine uh, with hundreds of sets of uh, medical equipment, hundreds of protective equipment like bulletproof vests, helmets, just because of speed of Bitcoin and crypto assets. While you cannot use traditional financial instruments in even fundraising campaigns because it's considered by anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism uh, counter regulation as an activity as, uh, like associated with the military zone. So you basically deprive the right to fundraise to support Ukraine at the early stage. And even now, a lot of Ukrainian organizations, volunteers, they unfortunately deprive the right to have uh, this kind of uh, fundraising campaigns. And thanks to Bitcoin and stable coins, we're capable to do so. We're capable to save lives. And this is also the reason why Ukrainian government actually also using crypto assets, particularly Bitcoin and stable coins, um, to basically buy uh, or to, to basically uh, you know transfer as far as, as, far, as, far as possible uh, the important protective equipment and even weapon to Ukraine thanks to uh, these uh, payment uh, instruments. Now what, what surprises me about the people of Ukraine, people like yourself, people like uh, Yulio Parkomenko who I interviewed in Davos, uh, Max Luria, um, these folks they live in Ukraine but they find a way to get out to the world, show the world that they're still doing what they do, whatever it is they may be doing. Uh, Yulio, for example, works in the Ministry of Digital Transformation there, uh, continues to do her job and fly around the world and go to the most important events. Here you are, you're from Ukraine. It's probably not the safest thing to travel out of Ukraine to get here, but you are, you and your, your, uh, your, your fellow country people are out and about in the world telling the Ukraine story. That's almost as important as any sort of fundraising or cryptocurrency that you might be taking, just getting this message out, being an ambassador for the country. Yes, exactly. So you need to understand that while we, from one side, extremely, extremely grateful, particularly for Bitcoiners and, and crypto, um, basically, uh, holders, because they help us and came immediately. Uh, the first hours of Russian invasion to Ukraine, while the traditional financial institutions and basically traditional fiat money came to us into months later. So these first months were crucial for Ukrainians. And this is the reason why a lot of Ukrainians and also Ukrainian government is really, really grateful, grateful for everyone from crypto community. This is the first point. The second point, we as Ukrainians, uh, we're not defending only our land, we defend the general democracy in the world. Because if Putin's allowed to commit war crimes in Ukraine, and it's before committed war crimes in Moldova, in Georgia, 
in Kazakhstan, they will do it on a Europe soul, and not only in Europe. So, in, in fact, we defended the whole principles of democracy. And of course, for us, extremely important that we as Ukrainian voices, whenever we are in Brussels, in Washington, in Kyiv, or whenever we are, we defend all our principles. And of course, solidarity, it means a lot for us. It's not just words, it's our lives. Yeah, well, that's amazing that you guys get out. Now, uh, do you know, by any chance, since the beginning, beginning of the war, how much in cryptocurrency has been raised? Maybe maybe you can translate it into US dollars. What's the total amount raised since the beginning? Over 170 million of dollars were at least uh, transferred. I mean, it was donated first to Ukraine and then used also to buy protective equipment. We don't know how much used the government itself in for transaction, but officially information in donations, it was actually over 170 million of dollars. And what specific role does your organization, the Open Dialogue Foundation, Play because that, I just love the name o Open Dialogue Foundation. It sounds like it's it's not just about supporting Ukraine. It maybe it sounds more like it's about the dialogue of democracy. Yes, exactly. So as a human rights organization, we work with post-Soviet region. It's Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Moldova. It's our particular focus. But we also work with uh, instruments, international instruments, which unfortunately abused as a transnational tool for repression, like Interpol, like mutual legal assistance requests, and also anti-money laundering regulations. And what we um, as, uh, basically uh, discovered that in case of Ukraine we see this kind of abuses of so-called false positive which was discussed here also in the house during this conference uh, when clients uh, of financial traditional financial system uh, they refuse to have a bank account or financial services just because they fundraise for example for so-called unsafe territories like Ukraine so our role is to highlight this kind of questions with regulators and to uh, to find remedies how they people who use traditional financial system and crypto assets can be back not to be in a gray zone. This is the first thing. The second thing, we as an Open Dialogue Foundation work extensively since the first hours of Russian invasion to Ukraine to provide a relocation, rescue support for refugees from Ukraine, but not only also from Belarus in Poland. We have a biggest hub uh, to support militaries and also individuals uh, with humanitarian aid. And all we're doing is fundraising with um, basically uh, cryptocurrencies. Why? because at some point our foundation uh, because of our human rights activities in the past was under attack at least three states and we were deprived to have a right for traditional banking. This is the reason why we were so aware how you can use crypto assets. This is the reason why we also advised for Ukrainian government representatives how they can use also crypto assets for fundraising, especially in this kind of emergency situation. And now we created a coalition of NGOs uh, who unfortunately became a victim of these uh, transnational tools of repression like anti-money laundering, counter-terrorism regulation. We're doing advocacy, we're explaining as end users how we use Bitcoin and stable coins to deliver humanitarian aid, protect human rights, and why we want to be back to traditional financial system, benefit from its uh, all services, and not be deprived also to right to use crypto assets, where, for example, you cannot use this traditional financial system, like, for example, in Russia, in Belarus, uh, or, in, for example, in Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. If you just try to fundraise in, like, traditional financial system, you would be assumed as extremists if you protect human rights, if you criticize the government, if you go to, uh, for example, support Ukraine. But at the same time, you can, for example, in Russia, of course, and in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, recruit people to fight against Ukraine for Wagner, and no one is going to prosecute uh, you. So we expose this kind of illicit activities. We expose how third countries like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkey, 
uh, help Russia to evade circumvent sanctions regime. And we want to make it more effective, but not, you know, try to uh, kind of uh, explanation, easy explanation that it's all Russia is using crypto assets to evade sanctions. It's not true. They use central banks, they use, cent you know, it's like state agencies of third countries, partner countries, to avoid for billions of euros and dollars sanctions. And we, of course, expose all these uh, illicit activities. Now, here in the U.S., things are kind of uh, at loggerheads in terms of regulations. Regulations are very slow to come out, and it is slowing down the adoption of cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, etc. Is the fact, you know, is that a problem in terms of raising money? If there's a lot of regulation and there's an obstacle to people working with cryptocurrency, does that become an obstacle to you to raise the money? Yes, of course. So. No one wants to be associated with something which is forbidden. So our role, because we know the value, we know how really these important instruments like uh, crypto assets can save lives, especially with authoritarian regimes. You know, for you maybe, I mean, for many European, for many American, like you, you have a privilege to live in a secure world where you use crypto assets for speculation. For us, it's saving lives. It's the only tool how you can safely defending privacy of donors, defending privacy of uh, uh, those who are recipients to deliver humanitarian aid. It's uh, the only hope for family of political prisoners how they can securely receive some small aid. It's, it's not about big money, it's about 50 uh, sometimes dollars. But for them it's like, you know, life, uh, life, life exactly, life or death. Okay, now it sounds like you're doing a world of good. You're roaming around the world, you're raising money, you're telling people about the importance of cryptocurrency, in the role of preserving democracy, let alone uh, Ukraine's sovereignty. Uh, but you also have been stopped and prevented from traveling yourself, haven't you? Exactly. Exactly. This is what story what I said you uh, that I was persecuted uh, harshly. I'm, I still be persecuted, but I won historical court decision against Deputy Minister of Special Services of Poland, who used all you know fake news produced by Kazakhstan, Moldovan, I mean Blachatniks regime uh, and others uh, dictators against me because they, uh, they I mean Poland. Unfortunately, we have at the stage uh, that the Polish government. Um, violates rule of law, human rights, women rights, and we as organization were the first who exposed it on international platform. So to seize our activity, human rights activity, Polish government used um, me as an easy target, as Ukrainian, and they thought that if they place me politically motivated in a Schengen information system list, like a threat to national security, it would, you know, solve for them problems. But it was not easy. I know how to protect hundreds of political prisoners and those who were politically persecuted. And of course, I was capable to protect myself. So I initiated the reform of Schengen information system. I initiated again this reform of anti-money laundering regulation. Uh, abuses when it's abused by such people uh, 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 like dictators uh, also or authoritarian regimes uh, like in Poland and now we have uh, for example special like I mean special because it's first time when foreigner um, win the, the decision of the court against deputy minister of special services when you accuse in money laundering in threat to national security being a Russian spy you know all possible fake news but normally, judges are afraid to take decision, especially on, on the course of foreigners. But we were so vocal, we were so exposing all of these irregularities that we won. And uh, um, of course, it's really important because it gives remedy for other foreigners who was the same like me, deprived the right, but they didn't have the courage. They didn't know how to defend their rights. 
And I'm really proud to say that for now, we have a special also motion for resolution and afterwards report of uh, Parliament Assembly of Council of Europe, which explicitly writes how you have a right to, with remedies, with compensation, access to information for foreigners. You don't have it in the US, you don't have it in the UK, in Canada, in any democratic countries, but you have it already in 27 countries of European Union and everyone who is supporting Schengen information system. And I think it's revolutionary. So um, we're here to show example that you can support, you can defend your rights even if you are a victim of repression. And I think it's an important example. Okay, well, uh, uh, Ludmila, uh, amazing story. I can't imagine what it must be like to live a day in your life when you're there in, in the Ukraine. And uh, I know I'm speaking for everybody who's watching this. We wish you all of the best in terms of your health and your safety. And we certainly look forward to Ukraine one day declaring freedom from, from Russia. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, really, to, who supports Ukraine. We need your help. We, we are with you. Thank you for saving our lives. Thank you. Thank you.